Hey, beautiful humans. It's time to stop sacrificing for everyone else and put you first. Are you feeling tired, stuck, or disconnected? Or maybe you're just looking to be the best version of you. I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild, and this is Embrace, Embrace You First, a podcast to help you thrive and not just survive. We are busy moms, successful entrepreneurs, and doctors in the field of natural medicine with over 40 years combined clinical experience. You're going to learn from our professional expertise and our juicy secrets that have helped thousands of men and women just like you. We are going to teach you practical and doable strategies on health, relationships, and career. So sit back, relax, and get ready to embrace you right now. So we liked you so much, Kimberly Johnson, that we're having you back on to talk about your other book, The Fourth Trimester. So actually, before we get started, I want you to introduce introduce yourself because I would love to hear, uh, how did you get inspired to write this book? Tell us about your story. Having me again. Um, Yeah. So I was a yoga teacher and a body worker, a structural integration practitioner, which is also called Rolfing. And I'd been doing that work for about 12 years. And then I had a baby and my life got turned upside down, inside out in all kinds of ways that I wasn't expecting. And as a result of that in healing myself after giving birth, I learned the modalities that were the ones that helped me heal the most, which were sexological body work and somatic experiencing trauma resolution work. And then oh, I wait, became- before you go, before you, t- uh, like, if you guys don't understand this, you need to check out last week's episode and Kimberly Johnson was on and we talked and we did a dig- big, deep dive into that. Okay, go. <laughs> and then I became a birth doula and I'm a single mom. I have now a 13 year old daughter. So that's kind of about me, but the people that I primarily help, I help women heal from birth injuries, birth trauma. Uh, gynecological surgeries and sexual boundary violations. So that's really my work in the world. And I came to the work, this phase of it, as I said, because I was just so surprised by my own uh, postpartum experience. You know, this is now 13 years ago. So the world has changed a lot in those 13 years and it's amazing. And, you know, I'm so proud that my book has also been a part of that. You know, this 2016 election was the first time that maternal leave policy here in the U.S. was discussed. You y'all are in Canada, so you have a better situation than we do in terms of parental leave. Um, but, you know, policy is changing. I think social media has really brought the postpartum experience to the forefront. Un- unfortunately, I do still feel that has a negative valence. I still feel that a lot of people use the word postpartum synonymously with depression. But back then when I was in Brazil, um, with my newborn and I was not feeling right. My back was hurting. My SI joint was whacked out. Uh, I, w- I had fecal incontinence. I was having a real struggle breastfeeding. Uh, I was searching on Google, holistic postpartum, alternative postpartum, all these things. And the only thing that came up was postpartum depression. And the only thing those articles said was it's normal to feel postpartum depression. And I just was like, that cannot be normal. It just can't be normal that what I'm feeling is not just a personal problem. It's an archetypal problem and it's a structural problem. And I was just flabbergasted that coming from Boulder, Colorado, sort of the bastion of the healing world that I had nothing that was going to help me. 
So I, I really dug deep. I went and lived in Thailand for a while. I went to Malaysia and studied some other cultures that actually know how to care for the mother baby dyad after birth. And what I suspected was true was that had I had different kind of care that actually valued my, not just this whole thing about mental health and the only solution we have to postpartum care is mental health checklist. It's just so incomplete and it shows all the ways that our culture is so out of balance. It is so true. I mean, your your book completely rang true for me and my own personal experience. And um, as I told you in our last podcast, we see a lot of people for fertility. And then, you know, what happens is that there's a drop off because they physically can't come in. And so there's a huge missing that, you know, they go and have their baby and then they vanish. And I know, and research actually says that there is a truth, though, about 71% of women experience postpartum blues, and then 21%, I believe, um, actually do get in a depressed state. Well, because they have all these unresolved things and not prepared, as you're talking about, like in our history through our ancestors or, you know, different cultural upbringings that really did guide women, but we've lost it all. Even like, you know, I'm Chinese and there is the whole mother um, mother warming technique, but living in North America, like you miss out on a lot of these things unless you, you know, consciously bring it in and learn about it, right? It used to be that in societies, we were living um, in a community and now we're all individual units, family units. And so we lose so much of that. So I loved your book and literally and now, we have everybody. To, now we have to hire people to do what our neighbors and our families used to do. So, um, you know, we've kind of like outsourced this role of, of neighbor, acquaintance, family member. I'm, I think that this is changing. I mean, I do think that people are more aware there's, you know, it's very hard when you're having a first baby and there's this birth that's out in front of you to think of anything other than that birth. Right. So I was like, probably most people are, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to give a birth. And I wasn't really afraid of it. I was actually pretty super excited about it, but either way I had changed my whole life for the birth. I had moved to another city so I could have the home birth midwife that I wanted. I always knew I wanted a home birth. I had basically spent all my money on setting myself up for the birth. And I didn't have any resources monetarily or people wise because I was living out of the country. Um, so I didn't have my parents there. I didn't have, you know, for, I didn't have friends. I had just moved to the place. But the thing is, is what is, what works postpartum is really a recipe just for good life. Right. And you know it from TCM. And we also know that, Part of the reason it's so difficult is because we don't have anything in place for menstrual care. So if when we were menstruating and that entrance into womanhood, we actually were educated about our cycles and how they work and how our energy works during them and how to rest, because let's face it, we know we should rest, but most people don't know how to rest. So then when you're on forced rest, people are so anxious, right? It's like there's, and there's so much, um, I was going to say Ajita, it's like a Yiddish word, but there's like so much angst that's happening because we're not used to slowing down and our value is all attached to how much we do and how much we get done and how capable we are. And even our partners have bought into that. So our partners are going, oh my gosh, she's so weak. She's so vulnerable. She's not doing anything. Yeah. Cause she just had a baby. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. everything that the new, 
baby needs and new mom also needs. And it, it just gets right to the heart of, of our disrespect for the feminine, our disrespect for yin, our sort of disgust for anything that's not forward driving, forward moving, you know, predictable. And, and so it's, it's actually an incredible opportunity. And that's why I wrote this book, because, you know, my second book that we talked about last week, The Call of the Wild, I own that book. Like, I am that book. Like, mm -hmm. I am that Jaguar. This fourth trimester, this is something that I didn't have. And I thought I would have another chance to have it at some point, but I never had it. So it's like, what I could offer is, okay, I didn't know. And it's not my fault that I didn't know. I wasn't, I'm not uneducated. I had all, I had sought all kinds of knowledge. It wasn't out there. Once I went looking, there were some great books. Aviva Ram wrote an excellent book, Natural Health After Birth in the 2000s. Uh, Robin Lim, After the Baby's Birth, incredible book also. It just kind of wasn't in the zeitgeist yet. Um, the other book I love is from a Toronto author, actually, and it's Between Heaven and Earth. Oh, um, yes. You know this one that, with a Chinese medicine practitioner? Just two, two, yeah. Um, about postpartum as well. So they're, they're, they were out there, but it just wasn't, you know... And, and also, so nowadays, people have my book, they have Han's book, The First 40. Mm -hmm. They have, um, you know, there's more resources. And with those resources, a lot of times when people tell their family or they tell their partner or they tell their mothers, they, the, they are treated like they're being a diva. Like, well, why do you need all this stuff? I didn't need all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, because... Like my mom had three babies, three episiotomies, three pelvic floor repairs. And I didn't even know that. And I'm the oldest. I'm like, when were you, I was like thinking, when were you going and getting these things? Like, when were those repairs happening? So it's like, we just didn't talk about what was happening. And my grandmother gave birth anesthetized, like completely anesthetized. So we just lost this intergenerational transmission. Breastfeeding, same thing. My mom wanted to breastfeed me, but my grandma was like, why are you doing that? Don't bother with that. Just give her formula. What are you doing? So uncomfortable with seeing a breast, so uncomfortable. And, and she hadn't done it because she was, you know, had her kids as baby boomers. So they were incentivized not to breastfeed. So there's just so much repair that has to happen. But, you know, it's possible and it's actually simple. Uh, and I think it makes a lot of common sense when you hear it. It just requires that we deprogram ourselves a little bit from who we think we should be and who we want to be. Because even if you know this, I talked to a friend of mine who had a baby last week and she's a practitioner. She's an Ayurvedic doctor. Uh, she's a yoga teacher. She teaches the feminine and she's like, she like really close to the camera. I thought that knowing all that stuff was going to make this easier. And like, somehow I wasn't going to feel vulnerable. And it's like, yeah, again, it's not the mind, it's the body. Like we're the physiology. We are unprotected when we have a new mother. That's why we need other people protecting us. And we are still in an altered state. And so we don't know what's good for us. You know, for me, it was as simple as like, I thought going for a walk was good for me. Like, doesn't that sound that sounds pretty like normal, but from somebody who used to do like hours and hours and hours of yoga a day, like a walk around the block. But actually it was making my prolapse worse because I wasn't totally healed yet. And I work with that a lot of people who were not prolapsed after birth and then they're prolapsed after postpartum because they didn't slow down at all. They didn't stay out of gravity. 
So we just really need to normalize a period of time, at least 40 days, if not three months, where we're out of gravity and we're taken care of. And we can't do it perfectly because our culture doesn't have it set up. So no one's going to be able to do this perfectly. And life happens and there's NICUs and there's family visitors and all those things. But we can do a little more than we might normally do. And in doing that little more, the people and our children, all genders of our children will understand that this is something that's really necessary. So powerful. Mm-hmm. There is such a negative connotation with being a diva if you have that postpartum doula care and you're nourishing yourself. But really, in my mind, there's no other alternative. And I was completely not expecting what, like, you know, the postpartum, like the physical aspect of it, like being afraid to have the first poo, for example, because I birthed vaginally and had tears. I, I pushed uh, baby Griffin out too quickly. Um, and then, and I love in your book, how you talk about everyone at the six week postpartum uh, checkup. It shouldn't just be a 10 minute, okay, your uterus is back in shape. Great. You're good to go. And that's your recovery. You can go back to work and, you know, just the concept of see a physical therapist, even if you didn't tear just to have everything assessed and then get care. Right. So get just, yeah. And I've, people are real surprised. Like even people who have cesarean deliveries will say, well, my pelvic floor feels awful. And it's like, well, you had a baby, you carried a baby for somewhere between eight and nine months sitting on your pelvic floor. I don't really like the words pelvic floor, but whatever, like your pelvic hammock, your sling. Uh, So what do you call it? Uh, like a hammock or sling. Okay. Ah, or, love yeah. it. Because yeah. we're not a house, you know, like we talk about vaginal walls. Like they're not really walls. Right. You're right. They're <laughs> like that. We're like, they're like shape shifting sea yes. anemone amazingness. Yes. Nice. Lovely. Um, <laughs> love it. Exactly. <laughs> but the people, a lot of people, no matter how they birthed, have challenges in their pelvis afterwards. And I've found with cesareans, a lot of times when I've done that work, and help people with scar tissue. And um, I've found that a lot of people, because they're like, why is my vagina tight or hurting? And I had a cesarean delivery. And it's because the body isn't, it's not complete with something leaving it. And so it doesn't want anything coming in. There's like a, there's an incomplete cycle to, I've even worked on cesarean scars and internally and the uterus starts contracting and does the contractions that it never had a chance to do. If somebody just had a scheduled C or um, didn't, didn't labor. Wow. Wow. So the body has these incomplete cycles and they're, they're visceral and physical. And as, as women, we have more opportunities for incomplete cycles because we have more cycles period. So Um, it's really important to attend to those things. And, you know, other cultures know this. In Ayurveda, they say 42 days for 42 years. Uh, There's there's a reason why there's special words for this time. In in Chinese, I don't know how to pronounce it right, but sitting the next. I just heard Han say it again, but I I didn't record it correctly. But anyway, there's all kinds of words sacred window for this period of time. And in Swahili, there's a term mama toto, which means mother baby, where they're not separate. It's not a mother and a baby, it's mother baby. So the unit needs to be cared for. And we would never think of leaving a new baby alone for hours on end. We would never think of letting a baby go without eating food. 
we would never think of putting a baby in a place with tons of loud noise and lots of things. Well, some people do, but most people would know not to do that. And a new mother needs everything that the new baby needs. It needs, we need a constant food source. We need to be swaddled. We need loving eye contact. We need to know that we're held and protected. Both yeah, I love how you, yes, both yeah. directions. And I love how you talk about physical touch and in the, that healing period for the mom, not just for the baby. It's so important. And, and this postpartum period can make or break the rest of your life. I've heard so many patients say I've been never well since my birth. Exactly. And, and like, you know, some people, so my negative reviews on Amazon um, are either like she's a woo woo hippie person. So it's fine. That's not a good match. Um, but they're also about like, this is so unrealistic. Like I reject this book because it's impossible. It's so unrealistic. And it's like, that's sad. Like if, if that's, if it's unrealistic for us to even imagine having a woman, it's six weeks, it's not six years. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, and people say it's expensive and all those things. And I, I like to talk to the partners too. I'm like, have your partner call me because guess what? Do you want to have a relationship? Because the Gottman Institute says that most divorces either happen the first year or when people say, where did the problem start? It's the first year after having a baby. And it's important for families to be intact. It's important for a baby to have two parents that love each other. So, you know, it's not like I'm not married and I'm a single parent, so I don't have that, but it's still ideal. Um, So it's the fact that we can't even fathom it is actually pretty upsetting that that seems so outside of the realm because we're so forward moving and we can't imagine. And, and, you know, you know, it's expensive trying to fix it five years down the road. Yes. Right. In exactly. 10 years or 20 years. Yes. So I love this. And, you know, we need to talk then about, well, what is that ideal period look like? Can we speak yeah. to that? Yeah. So when I was looking at these cultures, that have some intact postpartum care in place. There were five universal needs that I identified. And I look at them like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you need to have them from bottom up. So in in order of importance. And the first one is rest, an extended rest period. So we've kind of talked a lot about that already, but it's basically like five days in the bed, five days on the bed, five days around the bed. So that's 15 days just in your room where you're not really leaving just around your bed. And then the rest of that time is minimal movements, minimal times going up and downstairs, not leaving the house for about six weeks. And across the board, that's the sort of period of time that cultures have. And I've also, you know, there's so many different things that are going on with birth. It's like, if you have a baby at 32 weeks, then that eight weeks doesn't really count as postpartum because developmentally, both as a mom and a baby, that's still their incubation period. So it would be that eight weeks plus another six weeks that would be like an actual 40 days or or any kind of like high stress experience is going to take more time for you to let that all shift out. And in that time, you need other people caring for you. So there's this idea because we're, I'm sure, I mean, I consider myself a feminist and um, I think, you know, among people listening, most people are going to say, yeah, I'm a feminist. Like I believe in equal rights and I believe in chore division. And, and, but there's this idea that like, it's like equal care of the baby. So like, I'll go over to people's house postpartum and they're like, 
handing a crying baby back and forth to each other. But what really needs to happen is the partner needs to support the mom or the birthing person to support the baby. Absolutely. Equal care of the baby actually doesn't work. And it's because biology wired it that way. We have estrogen and oxytocin and those those hormones predispose us to be attuned to what the baby needs. So I hear so many women, they're like, they're pissed because they're like, I know what the baby needs before my partner does. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're wired. You are wired to know. <laughs> That's, That's great. The yes. design. Yes. And we can push against it and rail against it and feel that it's unfair. But to me, what I've seen is that really complicates people's recovery because they had this idea that everything could be equal. It can't be equal. We're not equal. Right. It just can't be. It, it's so true. So well, to have the- those conversations ahead of time, even in the back in your PDFs, in the back of your book, you know, conversations about expectations and how to yeah, and how you deal have with your partner support you. Job. Because the partner normally really wants to do a good job. They're trying to do a good job. And they're trying, you know, most of the couples that I work with, the partners are super progressive and involved in doing their best, but they just need to be sorted out of like, well, what's your role? And if they know their role and you know your role, then at least you have something to revert back to. So that's what the, there's a postpartum sanctuary plan in my book is like, how, you know, questions like, how do you know to deal with stress? What do you need from me? How can we stay connected? What's going to feel connected to you? Um, if we get off track, how are we going to get back on track? On the flip side, I see people freaking out and like going on date nights at four weeks postpartum because they're like afraid of losing their relationship. It's like, this is a time when everything changes and we don't need to grasp to everything that was. We need to just be present with what's happening. But in that time, the best thing you can do as a partner or for yourself and have your partner, I don't know, call me, uh, is <laughs> invest in this time yes. because that's how, how do you recover quickly? You don't do anything for six weeks except for eat warm foods, do vaginal steaming so your pelvic floor can repair itself to the extent that it can. The stitches don't hurt if you have them. So anyway, the bottom one is rest. That's number one. The second one is nutrient-rich food. So across the board, warm food, at first, very easy to digest. So soft foods like kitchri, um, broth, once you get through the initial phase of, of um, all of the detoxing that needs to happen with the hormonal flush, then you're going to want to use building foods. And those foods have a lot of collagen because the ligamental structures need to rebuild themselves. Uh, and the rest is also because gravity pulls on ligaments. And so if you're standing up and you're doing things, your ligaments that are like taffy are more likely to stretch. And we want them to become more like bouncy rubber balls. And in order to do that, you have to be out of gravity. Um, that's why in Mexican culture, they have the faja and the reboso so that you're and in Malaysia, they have belly binding it's so that the structure has support. And most North Americans are like, well, I don't want to do that because then my belly is going to get weaker because my abdominal muscles aren't going to work. Well, guess what? Your abdominal muscles aren't going to work anyway. So you might as well give them a little bit of support so that six weeks in, you can take it off. And then there's a semblance of where the organs need to be. The third one is loving touch. So um, my friends who live in Taiwan, when they're pregnant, they hire a baby nurse. That's the first thing they do when they find out they're pregnant. 
And then that baby nurse comes and lives in their house six days a week. And the baby nurse is for them and their baby. So the baby nurse wakes up, makes the teas and the breakfast and lunch, then bathes the baby, bathes the mother, gives the baby body work, gives the mother body work, and makes sure that they're on a routine, that they're eating frequently the right things, and that they're also getting body work. And it's not just for rich people. It's not just for spoiled people. It's for every person who has a baby. It's not like here, here in the States, it's like, I say, well, have you had any body work? And people are like, well, I went for one massage, you know, like I treated myself. Um, this body work and loving touch, it could be self, self oil massage. It could be acupressure. You could do ginseng on yourself. It's good to have you be receiving because you're giving so much and orchestrating it. I believe that if every woman had one person come to their house for three hours a week for six weeks, we would see a radical shift in postpartum depression. I've been noodling on that. Um, I wrote a book in the meantime. It's in the back of my mind. If somebody out there has a policy initiative or like has some major way that they can make that happen, take the idea and run with it. Um, I think we should take retired women who uh, don't have really a role in society and match them uh. up with um, postpartum women. And then that person can go and be, you know, set up a steam, make a couple of meals and be an attuned listener for what the person who gave birth needs. Which is That's so great because again, we're, we're, you know, because we're lacking that. And, you know, and now when women are tending to be a little bit more mature, you we're in that sandwich generation where your parents, even if they wanted to help, they're not even in a position to help. Right. Or if, if you're even so lucky to have a parent there, right. A lot of them have perished. And then, you know, so you're having to carry at both ends, but really it's like, oh my gosh, you're left alone and, and you can't even care for yourself and you want to, or actually it's not even in their mind. It's not in their radar. They even want to help because they're so focused on, oh my gosh, I have to care for my elderly parents or I have to care for this infant baby. And I'm wearing like 10 hats and it's just me. Tough, right? Yeah. And I mean, I understand most of the time in almost all the work that I do, there's a fair amount of grief because when we hear it, we're like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And so oh my gosh, sense. that's so far away from anything that I can even imagine. Um, because, you know, statistically, most women go back to work after two weeks. So it's like, you know, even just having six weeks off work is a luxury in this country. Um, but the people that I'm speaking to, it's and, and I've helped people who are working at literally working at McDonald's and went back to work after two weeks. And it's like, OK, well, what can that person do? Well, when you get home, turn off all your lights, get in bed right away, get yourself a hot cup of tea and, you know, put an eye wrap over your eyes and really totally shut off. So don't make the mistake of getting home and scrolling on your cell phone and like whittling away other energy. Yeah, you have to go to work and you have to be on your feet. OK. That's good, but what can we do in the rest of the time? And the same goes for anyone. It's like, okay, so you had X, Y, and Z planned. Can you just do a little bit more? Can you ask someone for help? It's so uncomfortable for us to ask for help. And I know because it's still uncomfortable for me. And like right now, I'm a single mom. I'm launching a book. I've got a new website, a new podcast. I'm on quarantine because of I got exposed to COVID. And it's like, it's still hard to ask for help. I need a lot of help. My parents live down the street. And everyone's like, well, did you ask your parents to do this or that? It's like, yeah, I asked them for one thing, but it's hard for me to ask them for five things, even though they would probably do the five things. So 
we just have to practice asking for help and receiving it. So Kimberly, we're going to send this podcast to your parents <laughs> so they can hear. <laughs> no, look at your face. <laughs> we want more help for you, for all of yeah. us women that are always, you know, we're like burning the candle at both ends and, you know, bringing it back to Chinese medicine. When we're in our postpartum period, we're in the place of deficiency. So it is time. It's necessary. It's, it's not a luxury, right? It's a time to be quiescent so that you can and build we also, back up. We like, even the word deficient, it's like, we want to like, it, it's like people will be like, well, deficient, that sounds negative. Well, it's like, but it's true. Yeah. Like it, we are like, people are like, well, weak, that sounds really negative because vulnerability is strength or whatever. It's like, can we just be okay with the fact that it's a deficient state? Yep. It's really great. Yes. That's such Good a point. great point. And that's sure. what I love about TCM. It's like, it just is. There was a point <laughs> in my recovery, two and a half, two and a half uh, hours now, two and a half years in where my acupuncturist said to me, there's no yin for me to pull from. Like there's nothing else for Ooh. me to draw from. So you just have to rest. Like you yes. have to, ev- like, he was like, you can't go on a bus. You can't go out of your neighborhood. Um, I worked in my house. So he's like, I know you have to work. I'm the breadwinner. Um, so, but when you're not working, you're laying down or you're eating because there's no raw material left for me to work that's with. Right. And it's like, it gets, that's the point that you can get to. And people come to me and they have a diastasis, for instance, which is a separation of their abdominal wall. And they've done everything. They're doing restore your core. They're working with this person. They're eating all the right things. But what they're not doing is just stopping. Mm-hmm. Like just stop, stop the routine, stop going to the park, just stay in your house. Just like, and I mean, it's kind of like what the pandemic has made us do. Um, just like, what does it look like to just not be able to plan all the trips and do all the things and go all the places um, is like they're in their diastasis heals when they just stop, you know, stop even if what they're doing is all the right things. I love that you brought in the pandemic because really this is a forced yin time. So it's a, it's really an yeah. opportunity to come back in towards ourselves versus learning as women growing up. We're very yang, very male energy. And it's like, no, that's not who we are. That's part of who we are, but we can't be a hundred percent yang. Like we, that's why we're, you know, one of the reasons why we're having all these troubles in the first place, because there's this complete imbalance in the world, right? Oh, yeah, can you imagine? We- and also coming from fertility, right? Like the fact that fertility is even an industry is just crazy to me. It's like fertility is the most basic thing there is. But that's why like we're as mammals, we're like, that's how far out of balance we are, that fertility is now an industry the most basic thing is reproduction. And as a species, it's the thing we're having the hardest time with. We're getting pregnant, sustaining pregnancy, and also having babies. Like birthing babies is statistically becoming harder. That's telling us how out of balance we are with the natural world. That's not that. And that's what I loved about, I forgot the author's name who wrote that between heaven and earth, but that's what she was talking about. How in, when she came from China, like, there wasn't a word for PMS that doesn't even exist. It's like we invented this thing, PMS, and then we name it fertility. We're infertile. And then we give it a name and then we attach to the name yes. or we're postpartum depression. A lot of people have never had an underworld journey. The postpartum period will take you to the underworld. Even if you have great care, 
it is a yin time and it is a time of dissolution and death. And we are dying to parts of ourselves. And so that doesn't have to be bad. It's just that it's bad when you only value what you can see. If we value the feminine, we have to value what we can't see. And it's why I, I'm, I get really frustrated because I feel like we've had like 10 minutes of as women of like some acknowledgement of the postpartum time. And now I'm seeing all this stuff about, well, dads have postpartum depression too. And like, what about this? Yeah, but dads didn't push a baby out of their <laughs> vagina. Yeah. Dads didn't grow the baby. Dads didn't have the hormonal changes. It just didn't happen. So it's like, it's another way of saying, well, the body doesn't really matter. It's really emotions or it's really mental health. And it's like, no, the body is actually the thing that's determining. And, and furthermore, the, the nervous system, which is the driver of all those systems, is really what's dictating so much of that. Well, and dads having postpartum depression would probably just be that disconnect of not knowing how to support. And if they did just support mom, as you're saying, imagine what the world would look like, right? Not just the postpartum period, the, the world itself, there'd be less divorces and there would be better connection and less triggering of autoimmune conditions and, and, and chronic illness like that. It's, it is such a sacred period. So thank you for writing the book. Honestly, I was so excited to uh, listen to it on audible and share it with my patients and uh, even do a spin-off program ourselves to help people because we want to help them have the right resources and the right care, whether it's, they can't afford, you know, a doula, but just like you're saying, imagine there were or seniors connected with women who perhaps didn't have the care and it was just a thing they would the seniors would feel valued and the the new moms would be taken care of and yeah it just i love your ideas you're brilliant <laughs> so Thank you. so we well, have 5 minutes left who read it or some of the partners who read it they actually become the gatekeepers for their partners and that's the thing about the book is Beautiful. like it would be better if aunts like send it if you're pregnant yes. send it to your aunt send it to your yeah. mom send it to your partner totally because then you're not saying, I want this. Then you're right. saying the book told me to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. love it. Yes, yes, yes. It Outsource takes the, it. Yeah. And Absolutely. So, did we and also there's cards. Did you guys links? know there's cards? Oh, oh I love no. It. So oh. tell us about those. Yeah. So there's a deck. It's 52 cards. And it's just like a thought for the day or a recipe or a meditation based on the book. But there's like 20% new material. So for people cool. who are just overwhelmed by the book. There's cards. And then there's a journal coming out um, June it. 29th that you can pre-order. That's it's, it's so beautiful. It's one of my students. She's, she's Swedish. And um, she did all of the, the artwork for it. <clears throat> so that's like an amazing keepsake. So that you can record this and offer it to your children so that they can remember what it was like. Because I don't know about your parents, but my mom's like, I don't really remember yeah, breastfeeding was hard. I don't really remember, but you can record it and they can actually get the wisdom that you wish you would have had. So yeah, so five, rest, nourishing food, loving touch. The fourth one is presence of wise women or spiritual companionship. So we are mammals and we need to be around other bodies. Bodies need bodies. That's how we regulate each other. And if you're co-regulating a baby all the time, you need someone co-regulating you. Um, that's attuned to you. So again, like I think people are pretty accustomed to the meal train idea now and people put together meal trains of food delivery when they have Talk babies. Talk about that though. You know, even though they yeah. may be accustomed, tell yeah. us more. 
So a meal train, there's, there's even, I think, mealtrain.com, there's some apps out there, yes. is basically where you ask your community if they'll bring you food postpartum. And if you feel uncomfortable asking, I oftentimes tell the person, have the person who arranged your baby shower or your mother blessing be the person who reaches out and coordinates the meal train. Um, and, you know, in my book, I have some recipes you might you might include a recipe that's happened to me recently. A friend of mine had a baby and then her older child got COVID. And so she was just like underwater and she just wrote me and she sent me the recipe and said, can you make me this? And it was so much easier than just saying, can you cook for me? Cause then I'm like, Oh, what should I make? And, da, da. and it was just like, make this recipe. So I made it for like five times because I was like success, you know? Um, so yeah, just be specific about what you might like or give people a few meal options. And then um, I would do, if I was going to have another baby, I would have a friend train. So I would have an organization of friends that were coming. And if it was out of town now, it's the pandemic. That's probably a little more challenging. But for me, friends are like food. And like, I really need to have somebody that knows me. Um, I was out of the country, like I said. So I didn't really have anyone that spoke English and, that's, and that spoke my language. So like creating a way that you can connect and not, you know, you have to know yourself and, and there's lots of advice about, you know, shorter visits and all those kinds of things. But I would have a train at least of a phone call that I knew I was going to have that was for me. Um, so presence of wise women. And then the last one is contact with nature. So that can happen through herbs that can happen through putting your rocking chair near a window so that you can see outside. Um, any way that you can feel it could happen through how you're cooking, you know, like that shows you nature. You can't rush nature. You can't force flowers to bloom. They're not going to, you, you can watch them. You can water them. You can, you can create conditions for them to bloom, but you can't make them bloom. You can't make water boil faster. Uh, well, I guess you can, you can get one of those kettles. Or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, bad, bad analogy. But, um, you know, if you have multi, when I send out postpartum doulas to clients, sometimes some of them, I have them just drop off the food, but some of them, I have them cook at their house because that process of cooking and then the mom will come and sit with the person in the kitchen is just a regulating process of like, if you're having four burners going, it's going to take a while for the meal to be ready. But like, we need to get used to a pace that's more organic. That's not us rushing everything and you know, trying to make it happen faster. That said, you know, there's a lot out there. We need to eat warm foods, whole foods, but eating is better than not eating. Agreed. Um, eating yeah. frozen food is better than not eating food at all. Uh, and so I know a lot of women now are preparing foods and freezing them. You know, we're all just, you're just doing your best. As long as you're attending to that, then that's great. doesn't mm -hmm. have to be perfect, but just, mm -hmm keeping these needs in mind and doing it a little bit more than you maybe think you should. So wise. Oh my gosh, Kimberly, we love having you here. I wish that we could have the whole day to speak with you. And I know we're <laughs> all needing to get on with our lives. And um, but thank you. <laughs> not that this is not living our lives. Like we are so super thrilled and honored. And I really want this podcast to be like totally every buddy on earth should actually listen to this. Totally. So, and then again, we'll have our show notes and we'll put down some of the books that you recommend as so we'll have to get around, um, circle back with you about the okay. books. Okay. And maybe you'll come back and we'll speak some more. I love your passion and your gosh, your wisdom and 
You're so fluent and I love the way you speak. You're just beautiful to listen to on your Audible and now in person or via, you know, Zoom. So thank you. Thank you. And so before we close off, let's end up on a high note and talk about, uh, well, one last thing where you share with us what filled your cup today or yesterday or last week. Good question. Well, I've ordered this food company called Daily Harvest, which is frozen food, frozen plant-based food, which I usually never eat frozen food. But because I'm in this period of time where I'm planning a book release party, both online and in person, and, you know, my new book's coming out and everything, it's actually really nice to just have food that tastes good. It's not like, I wouldn't give it like an A+, but it's like good enough. And I don't have anyone bringing me a plate of food, which is kind of my love language. Like, could you just bring me a plate of food? Um, So that's how I filled my cup by ordering the day, like just jumping off the fence, ordering the daily harvest and eating it. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Click subscribe, like, and share. Please comment and suggest topics you want us to cover. Until next time, ask yourself, how are you going to embrace you first today? For more podcasts, check out embraceyoufirst.com. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.